Welcome to Leading Innovation. I'm your host, John Lowry. So anyone who begins to think about innovation recognizes really quickly that innovation is hard. Innovation is a real, real challenge. And the reason is, is because innovation brings about change. Innovation is disruptive. Innovation causes people to be uncomfortable. It rattles their status quo. And as a result of that, there is a lot of resistance built up against innovation and against progress. And so one of the things that I want to think with you as part of today's conversation is what is it that kills innovation? How is it that people put up those roadblocks? How is it that people can find ways to resist change and literally push the idea into a filing cabinet somewhere or push that innovation, innovative person, push them out of the organization? It happens literally every single day. Now, in order to illustrate this, I want you to go back with me to World War II. It was January 1944 when the Office of Strategic Services for the United States government, this was the predecessor to the CIA. These were folks that were working in the espionage field, working with spies, operating across the world. They published what they called a simple sabotage field manual. And in this manual, what they did was they were teaching the spies. They were teaching people that infiltrated foreign governments. They were teaching them how is it that they could create chaos inside those organizations. Many of it had to do with creating kind of physical chaos, punching a hole in the gas tank of a truck, things like that. And then they got thinking about how do you create chaos inside of the actual organization? And in this manual, they suggested eight things. Now, what I want to do is spend some time thinking with you about these eight things. And I hope you'll notice with me, maybe you'll reflect with me on the eight things. They may sound familiar, or as you hear them, you may think, wow, that's kind of how my leadership team works. Or that's a lot in terms of how my company operates. Because these eight things, while they were given as suggestions here to slow innovation, given as suggestions to slow progress of the Axis powers in World War II, these are actually some of the most fundamental ways that leadership teams and organizations operate today. All right, so let's jump into it and you'll see. Okay, the first thing that the Simple Sabotage Field Manual said was that in order to slow down the progress of an organization, it's important that you insist on doing everything through channels. Never permit shortcuts to be taken in order to expedite decisions. Have you ever heard that? We need a process, or we need to send this through a committee, or we need to take some time to think about that or we need to get a working group together to work through that. Notice the moment that you start putting an idea or putting a decision into that process, it will just naturally slow it down. Now, there could be some value in it, absolutely. But at the same moment, I want you to recognize what it does to innovation. It makes it harder, and it makes the finish line farther away. And then I think it's interesting they make this point about never allow shortcuts to be taken. 
Well, in the spirit of quality control, in the spirit of customer service, in those kinds of things, yes, there are many times where we don't want people taking shortcuts. Uh, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the healthcare industry. And there's a lot in healthcare to where you want the protocol, you want the redundancy, you don't want the shortcut, you don't want people winging it. But as we're thinking about organizations that are looking to innovate, there are moments where speed is imperative. Markets are changing. There's a lot of innovative, creative, entrepreneurial companies out there that are trying to do the same thing that you are. And as a result, you've got to get to market first because there is a competitive advantage. There are moments where you may have to expedite decisions, even if you don't have all the information that perhaps you would love to have. All right, so that was number one. Number two, it says make speeches. Talk as frequently as possible and at great length. Well, for some of our colleagues, they know how to do this naturally. Uh, They were born talking and they'll just talk, 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 talk. But notice what's left out of this. Here they say, talk a lot, share ideas, do your thing. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to listen. Now, there are moments where by listening and understanding, we can actually make better and faster decisions. And so here you see this advice says, don't listen, just talk. And just talk as much as possible. And by dominating the conversation, it actually will slow things down, which is why the OSS gave this as a piece of advice to these governmental operatives. All right, number three, think about this one for a minute. When possible, refer all matters to committees for further study and consideration. Anyone ever had that moment where your leadership team has been thinking about something perhaps for months And finally, the decision is made, well, let's get a committee together and let's think about it even further. Notice, there may be some really good value that comes from that, but it will slow things down and it very well could kill innovation. I remember several years ago at a a church I was doing some work with, uh, there was this classic moment, right? To where there was an entire committee that was formed around an issue at the church And this committee spent 90 days meeting on a weekly basis to study this issue and to talk about how the church should move forward. And at the end of the 90 days, there was the chair of this committee who stood before the entire church. And do you know what the solution out of the committee was? Was to create another committee made up of different people with different perspective to study the very same issue. Notice that church is not set up to be very innovative when it's just committee after committee after committee. All right, number four, bring up irrelevant issues as frequently as possible. Oh, so many times we can get sidetracked, can't we? We can find ourselves going down rabbit trails. We can have people that raise things that frankly, it might make a difference in their world, but in the big scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. I remember the CEO of a very large company, you'd recognize the name if I mentioned to you, he talked about his email and he talked about the fact that there were lots of emails that he just didn't respond to. And he said, every email that gets sent to my inbox is an important issue. And he said, I had to be very selective in identifying 
what are the emails that I needed to respond to? And what were the emails that my assistant could then send to someone else to respond to? And he said, often what happened was people would send me their issues and they would want my input and they would want me to weigh in. But the reality is the issue was irrelevant. It wasn't important in terms of the larger scheme of the company. And so it wasn't something appropriate for me to lean into. So be careful in terms of bringing up things that will send the conversation in a different direction. And as a result, will enable it to be less innovative and will slow it down substantially. All right, number five, haggle over precise wordings of communication, minutes, and resolutions. If you're like me, you sat in board meetings where there's that classic moment at the beginning of the board meeting where you have to approve the minutes. And that's always this kind of finger-crossed moment where you're hoping that no one has any objections to the minutes. And sometimes someone will raise their hand and they will point out that this word should be this and not that. And as a result of that, there's 30 minutes of discussion to try to recap what was the meaning of some statement or some action that was taken by the board in the previous meeting. Notice that is 30 minutes where progress is not being made, where we're having to look back and slow down. And so that's the reason why the OSS says, hey, the more time you can get people, the more time you can get people to spend on things that really don't make a huge difference or get stuck in the minutia to where they can't move forward, the better off that will be for slowing down the progress of an organization. All right, number six, I've certainly been there. Perhaps you have too. Here we go. Refer back to matters decided upon at the last meeting and attempt to reopen the question of the advisability of that decision. Oh, so many times we get to the end of something, we've hashed it out, we make the decision, ready to move forward, and then there is another issue that appears, or there's another piece of information. And so as a result of that, someone wants to reopen the discussion and revisit the decision. There are moments where maybe that's appropriate, but recognize that if that becomes the habit of a leadership team, it will be a leadership team that moves slowly because by doing that, it holds things up and it creates friction that doesn't allow us to move forward. All right, seven, I hear this often. I tend to be a bit more entrepreneurial. I tend to be a bit more comfortable with ambiguity. And yet many times I have people that will tell me this. Uh, They will tell me to be careful or to get more information, or to check into that. And so here the OSS says, advocate caution, be reasonable, and urge your fellow conferees to be reasonable, and avoid haste, which might result in embarrassments and difficulties later on. I know of a ton of good ideas that are lying within companies that because of someone's fear of something that absolutely could happen, but is probably not likely to happen, that idea has absolutely gone nowhere. As a result of that, that innovation is dead because there is some potential, even remote, that that idea may not be successful or may create this moment. 
And as a result of it, instead of dealing with that or preparing for a moment like that or massaging the idea to be able to work around a moment like that, in the spirit of caution, the idea simply stalls. Caution is absolutely important. And I hope everyone recognizes that it's, it's important to make careful decisions as we're dealing with money and products and people's jobs. And as we're trying to get ahead in the market, all of that definitely have to, has to be recognized, but we also have to understand what the downside of it is to where if we are too cautious and we get so fearful to do anything, what we're left with is doing nothing. And as a result, innovation dies. All right, last one, number eight. Be worried about the propriety of any decision. Raise the question of such action as is contemplated lies within the jurisdiction of the group or whether it might conflict with the policy of some higher echelon. So this really comes down to questioning the authority of whoever it is that's making the the decision. What that means is, Whatever decision that is made becomes a recommendation. And now there's a whole nother party or a whole nother committee or a whole nother body that needs to decide and ultimately make the decision. Now, by doing that, notice in forcing two or three or four different people or groups or committees to get involved in a decision, it slows the process down of a decision being made and moving forward. All right, so there are eight things that the U.S. government in 1944 told to their folks that had infiltrated these countries. Here are the eight things they told them to do to slow down the decision-making of those countries and to give the United States uh, an advantage in World War II. But as we think about those, if you're like me, you'll recognize that you've experienced each one of these at one time or another, that there's been decisions that you've revisited, that there's been moments to where you did a lot more talking and a lot less listening, Uh, that there's been situations to where you too have insisted on these things being done through these processes and these channels with no exception. And as a result of it, you put a good idea into a bureaucratic process that it will never come out of. And so we recognize this is part of the management culture today. And the key for us as really effective innovators is to know when we need to put an idea into this process and when we need to protect an idea from these kinds of processes. Many times being a great innovator is about clearing the way for an idea to be successful. It's about making sure that there's a path and there's people around it and you've got the right buy-in to where that idea can overcome the resistance that we know is going to come. Now, last word on this, something that wasn't part of the simple sabotage field manual, but a last piece I want to add because I think it's a big part of why innovation fails, and that is ego and fear. I think one of the reasons that we see innovation struggling is there are folks that frankly are envious of the idea, or there are people that don't want the person who brings the idea to 
enjoy the success of it. And so as a result of it, there's no substantive objection to the idea, but there is objection to who comes up with the idea. And as a result of it, you see people fight it. That happens on leadership teams. That happens in markets between companies. Uh, It happens all around to where someone's ego won't let the idea emerge. And so in those particular situations, it's important to be looking down the road and trying to identify these new ideas or these new programs or these new products, whatever it might be, who is it that they might offend? And how is it that you can get ahead of that to where you can generate the buy-in that clears the path to success? And then the last thing is fear. The reality is, is innovation is very, very disruptive. And people fear what the new idea will mean for them and for their livelihood and for their income. And so as a result of that, people look at new ideas. And even though they know it makes sense, they also recognize that it is not good for them. And so as a result of that, there is resistance. And so you have people out there because they fear what it will mean for them that are literally trying to advocate and protect old ideas, old systems, old processes, old ways to do things. And so recognize that part of being a great innovator isn't just coming up with the next great thing or the next great process or the next great technology, but part of being a great innovator has to do with leadership and has to do with helping people see the incentive of change. That can be very difficult at times for some because for some, there is no incentive to change. And so creating those structures, creating that environment that allows people and encourages people to bring about positive change and to open the door to innovation, well, that can make all the difference in the world as to whether a new idea will be just an idea or whether that new idea will bring about transformational change. So as you're going about your business, as you're leading people, as you're trying to make positive change, be on the lookout for these eight things. Recognize when these eight things are being employed and be creative, but be persistent in trying to overcome them so that these eight things that were given as suggestions to help win World War II, these eight things don't stop you from being able to do what you know you need to do to win in the marketplace today. 